As the organization for neonatal nurses, NAN strives to broaden your horizons, help you better care for your neonates, and amplify your voice in the field of neonatal nursing. Now, more than ever, you deserve to be supported by this vibrant community of nurses and invest in your professional development. Visit NAN.org to see NAN's wide range of member benefits and join our community today. Hello, and welcome to NANCAST. I'm Jill, your host. As we all know as NICU nurses, a lot of the treatment modalities utilized in the NICU are often off-label use. Advancing neonatal regulatory science is essential for the timely development of new treatments and for improved use of existing medicines for neonates. One organization, the International Neonatal Consortium, was created to meet those challenges. The INC accelerates the development of safe and effective therapies for neonates. The consortium engages the global neonatal community, including families, nurses, academic scientists, regulators, pharmaceutical investigators, advocacy organizations, and funders to focus on the needs of the neonate. Through teams that share data, knowledge, and expertise, INC advances medical innovation and regulatory science for this underserved population. What is the NICU's nurses' role in this consortium? What is the INC doing to facilitate changes in neonatology? How can NICU nurses become involved? It is my pleasure to welcome Wakako Eklund to discuss more about the INC and their contributions to the NICU. Wakako has been a nurse for 30 years, with the last 20 years as a neonatal nurse practitioner. She is an active NAN member and serves on the ANC editorial board. She is also on the board of COIN, the Vaughn Disparity Advisory Board, as well as the professor for DNP students. She has served as the liaison to the International Neonatal Consortium since its inception. In addition to her primary clinical commitment, she has been active both nationally and internationally as an educator, as well as an advocate to advance neonatal nursing and patient-focused family care. Let's get right into it. As NICU clinicians, we all recognize the need for advanced research in the neonatal population. Why was the International Neonatal Consortium formed, and what is their impact? Thank you so much for that question, because it can be complex and it can also be intimidating when you hear about neonates and clinical trials and the need for therapy development. But the nutshell of the whole big picture is that many stakeholders have been very concerned for years why neonatal specific drug development or therapy development research have lagged behind those studies for adult or young children. The reason why it's lagging is even with several policy implementation by the federal government, babies' research is very complex, extremely expensive. Babies' physiology is very different. And in any other population, do you ever have a one-pound baby and 10-pound baby in one section? You don't have a 200-pound adult and 2,000 pound adult. (laughs) So the neonatology is very complex from the physiological standpoint. Designing safe and good research can be very difficult. But they all realize that we can't do it alone. Um, The research centers can't stand alone. We need to collaborate 
also globally. So all the stakeholders met a couple times before 2015 to form a organization that involves everyone. And let me tell you, everyone means everyone, not just FDA as a regulatory body, but PMDA from Asia, Health Canada from um, Canada, of course, and EMA from Europe, and quite a few of the um, regulatory bodies are involved. And of course, research groups, different research networks, and we need parents because parents are the ones that give consent to any studies. They have to understand what's at stake. And when uh, INC was about to be launched, they said, we've got to bring in nurses because nurses are at the bedside who are often asked by the parents. Now, did you hear that research doctor that wanted us to enroll our kid? What do you really think about it? If we don't have nurses on our side for research development, it doesn't work. So I wish I could show you a schematic of who are all involved, but globally, multiple countries, networks, research networks from um, Europe and the US, um, also, Parent networks from Europe and U.S. are involved. So it is a huge um, collaboration of multi-stakeholders. I like how everybody's voice is heard and, you know, their opinion matters and their input. And like you said, it's the bedside nurse that's carrying out this research. And oftentimes, you know, I find where I work on, in my institution, there's a lot of, of studies being done. And they just tell us, the nurses, like, you need to draw this lab at this time or, you know, take this measurement or, or what have you. We aren't always included as far as what exactly is happening. And I think that's very important to include nurses into the study so we can explain as well to the parents this is what we're doing this is what we're trying to accomplish and hopefully improve an outcome and like you said the parents that's education is so important and maybe they'll we'll get more parents to agree to put their uh, babies in a research study um, if they're correctly informed and they can make that consent years ago Many people, researchers included, and clinicians included, we used to think that it's too dangerous and unsafe to put babies through research like that, that we have to test rigorously for efficacy of any drugs or chemicals or molecules, right? And now we believe that it's unethical to throw off-label drugs to babies all the time. And I don't know if anybody has ever thought about this, but 96% of hospitalized babies usually are exposed to at least one or two off-label medications. And average number of um, drugs that any one baby can be exposed to during the uh, hospitalization, especially when they're younger than 28 weeks, is about 12 different medications. All... often are not been rigorously tested specifically for the specific neonatal population. They are often borrowed from the older children's research or even adult research. And then they did our research, but the initial molecule was not developed specifically for the neonates. And the last time any medication was developed specifically for neonates with the neonates in mind was over 25 years ago. 
it was surfactant and, oh, antenatal, wow. and, and antenatal steroids. Those were aimed at babies and our population. It wasn't tested on adults, and we borrowed it for babies. It was truly rigorously studied with the population of neonates in mind. And that needs to happen for other drugs that we are giving to our babies at the bedside. I, I can't believe that it's surfactant really was the last drug. Yes. yes, that's something we talk about a lot because people don't realize it. Yeah, wow, I did not know that. Because I, I think of all the off-labeled drugs that we give, mm -hmm. but I didn't realize that that was the last drug that was, because that's just common practice, right. surfactant. And, you know, like... It is a common practice, and I remember the day that surfactant was, surfactant was relatively new. I'm a little older than you, so I remember the day that it was new, and it was so exciting that it tested on babies who needed yeah. it, needed it. And uh, some time ago, I actually fly often for work. I sat next to a gentleman whose daughter, many years ago, went through a clinical trial and he knew, he said that it was randomized clinical trial. So initially he was not, you know, told his daughter is going to get surfactant or not. But he saw the dramatic improvement and he was in tears sitting next to me telling me oh, all about wow. how surfactant is the reason. And she's, you know, a young mother and um, he was like, you do special things in there. And he was Aww. so sweet about my love for neonates as a neonatal nurse practitioner. Oh, so. wow. That's awesome. Yeah, I, I know because I think about when I first started, the one drug we started giving was sildenafil as like yeah. an off-label use. And we're like, Viagra, you know, because right, you know, right, right. it's what? And I, you know, now that's just common therapy for the, you know, the PPA gen right. babies. Right. But, you know, I remember that being a big thing back when I started. Yeah. Um, and to know that that wasn't really studied, I, I think a lot of us assume, I hate to say that, but I think bedside nurses assume that this has been rigorously studied. Right. And that's and I, why we're giving it. I think that definition of a true rigorous study really has to be clarified, maybe defined too, and that is another reason why INC was formed. International Neonatal Consortium recognized that everybody is using, say, different types of um, adverse events, severity scale, and everyone in different parts of the world is using different language to describe a certain adverse events. So several years ago, we took upon a pretty big project to do a Delphi study, several steps of Delphi study, to try to harmonize the language for adverse events severity scale, applying actual neonatal physiology instead of adult physiology, such as retinopathy of prematurity or apnea and bradycardia. Would you consider that to be severe or moderate? It's a part of the neonatal physiology, that kind of thing. And thankfully, quite a few NAM members um, called my, answered my call, so to speak, and joined that to process it, go through quite a few of the process to give feedback and input from clinical views because we see those adverse events or questionable adverse events. Is that an adverse event or is that just something we have to accept? Um, but 
everybody was defining things differently. So neonatal-specific adverse events severity scale was developed through the collaboration of um, European research member and the International Neonatal Consortium, which NAM members gave a lot of contribution to, and that um, is published, and I think he made it into two publications so far, but they're still rigorously validating it with a prospective study instead of a, a retrospective data review. So a lot of exciting things are happening. Are there any other white papers or protocols that INC is reviewing as well? INC, as a liaison from NAN to INC, I am on the um, coordinating committee, and I'm also... Uh, I have served on the leadership team for the last couple of years, so there are, are quite a frequent meetings that happen. And along the five, actually more than six and a half years now, I have reviewed probably every paper, every white paper except one, which we published to try to define what would be a well-built seizure medication protocol would look like. Because if we could agree on what are the standards and what should be a um, safe way to carry out the research, we want to be able to communicate that to the FDA, the regulatory people, so that they have a good tool to evaluate um, researchers' proposition or proposals when they bring stuff to get approval from FDA. So we try to facilitate building tools of different um, ki kinds. So white paper was published for a couple of those specific um, trial designs. That one was seizure, and another was ROP. Um, the definitions are too different from one place to another. And neonates are small population, almost like a rare disease status, which means. In order to get the number of the babies to be enrolled in any one study, we've got to collaborate from Europe to um, US, Japan, and Canada. We've got to bring all the data together to enhance the um, quality of the data that we gain. So that safe thing, we can all say it's safe. And if it's not safe, we can all agree that it's not safe. And they are developing a huge real-world data project right now, collecting a ton of past data, prospective data, combining from multiple centers in Japan and U.S. and England, try to merge as many databases together so we have more to draw from. How do you go about picking what areas of interest that INC wants to focus on or different outcomes that you want to focus on improving? That's a great question. Every, uh, at every face-to-face -face meetings that we were able to hold, stakeholders brought a lot of critical areas that were bothering us. Like one group was formed as a result of us all discussing that do we all know what truly is the normal blood pressure is for every baby that you take care of? So a hemodynamic group was formed and physicians and nurses. I actually was not a part of that, but even parents were part of that. 
they kind of join the team so to work on that. Often we work on Zoom meetings or off um, offline meetings, and they actually published a really exciting paper about the their um, harmonization of all the data from all over the place to try to give what they think is the best to go by. So that so um, the other things like NAS was brought in as a topic to evaluate. And um, we also had strong interest from many people, including many parents, that BP BPD outcomes or long-term outcomes, not just, you know, how little of oxygen can you be discharged from when you were born at 23-24. BPD is something some parents have suffered for last 16 years, 17 years. We also have a parent representative who was very active in that group sharing with FDA people the suffering her daughter went through that she lost at the end of that um, short life and how BPD really means. So having different voice from nursing to parents, it really enhances the message that we can send to all the stakeholders who may not see the baby every day. Whenever we think about all the priorities, we actually probably cover everything and we actually have a voting. We have had voting to um, put our own input of what are the top three things that, that you want as a, cons you know, as a group to really focus on. Um, I think that sometimes the industry has a, a strong interest in wanting to research certain medication for a certain disease and they realize that you know, we have too many languages, too many expressions, and then everybody's doing things slightly differently. So how can we make that to come together? So the work, each work is not wasted. Each life that is enrolled in the study is not used in vain. And uh, we have so many unsolved mysteries in neonatal, you know, space, do you not think? Oh, yeah. I, you can just go on the NAN forums and see everybody's struggles yes. and how everybody is approaching an issue differently. And I, I like how you said that no work is wasted. And I think that Inc. is amazing that they have that ability to communicate and bring everybody together and talk about the issues that we're having and, and what could work. And streamlining the terminology, uh, that, is, that is invaluable. You know, what we think for hemodynamics in my unit versus another unit is, is so different and so varied. Um, and it's frustrating as a, as a clinician, as a provider. Um, you know, how, how, can we improve, how can we improve that? And you're doing that. Inc. has really tried to make everybody aware that we need to speak the same language. And also... Regulatory perspective is definitely different from researchers' perspective. And we need to look at each other face-to-face -face as often as possible to really discuss different sides of everything, hopefully that we can agree with the parents and babies in mind. And they are the ones that are giving the most. Um, they're risking in many ways, right? Because they, we don't know 
often we don't know the results of everything. And of course, the industry partners fork out a large budget to make something happen. And they really want to bring something that's effective and safe for new babies that will be coming to our unit. Um, it, it's been a very interesting journey. And I know you mentioned um, sometimes you don't res receive information about that detail of the research that you are tasked to, say, carry out certain actions, like such as blood draw a certain time. Two hours after this is given, you have to do this and record this and this and this, and the urinary output, this and that, right? Uh -huh. um, and I want to tell you something exciting that I was involved with. Again, not just me, but other nurses were involved. We developed and designed a survey that really explores the communication practices related to NICU research or neonatal research and communication culture and communication workflow and that sort of thing. Um, that paper is published and I would love to share that, but we did something innovative. We developed three sets of survey questions, one for nurses, one for neonatologists or researchers, medical researchers, and one for parents. And parents, one, had slightly different languages in expressing certain things so that they can answer a little bit more comfortably. But we asked about, were you ever even given opportunity to receive the results of the study that your child was invited to enroll? Or we may ask the nurses and physicians and all, do you believe your NICU has research as an integral, um, important mission of your NICU? And how do you hear about the upcoming research or current research? Are you, giving, are you given the opportunity to know about it? So the results were interesting. Um, definitely, we found a gap of some things that we thought we did that the parents were like, no, we never heard about it. That sort of thing. So if you have an opportunity, uh, we have to somehow share that link for the paper. It's open access so everybody can read, and it's quite interesting. So that was just published uh, uh, at the end of the year. So that was a pretty long three, four-year project that regulatory members, parents, nurses, multiple, and um, physicians and international members participated. And I'm so proud. I want you to know this. I want to thank everyone who participated in a survey from NAN membership. It was email blasted to everyone. And out of the 350 participants, nurses took the biggest chunk of respondents. We had 188. So Great. <laughs> nurses contributed Well, I think they a see lot. the importance. I think they right, see the importance right. of it. And sometimes we do feel not included. Um, not, I don't think it's at anybody's fault, but it's just, you know, there's so much that goes around doing research um, and conducting research in the unit. So I think, you know, we do have to inc improve communication. And I think nurses are interested. We want to know. We really would love to be invited in understanding from the get-go of the designing process instead of just being thrown into an, you know, certain system that's already been built in inflexibly, so to speak, that you feel like that frequency of a lab draw is a burden to a baby. And also it goes against our workflow a little bit. 
Exactly. And if the nurse have, can be you know, invited at the table from the very beginning, and also the parents need to know how many times is my child going to be moved or stuck or have to wake up from his nice sleep, which is so important to preemies. So um, it, we really would love to feel like we're communicating well, but the results shows that we have some work to do. Well, hopefully, you know, then, then we can start doing that work. Um, and, and you said it, it's invaluable to ask a nurse, how would this affect the babies? How would this affect the workflow? Because sometimes the stakeholders in the research aren't used to bedside workflow, aren't used to how, how, our, how we work with babies, how we work with parents. Right. So we do need to bring our voice to the, to the table. And as a part of the communications committee mem- team, we have developed key messages to send out. And Inc. actually um, developed us something called Inc. Communications Toolkit for each stakeholders, such as for nurses. And the graphic is very easy to follow. I would love to uh, invite anyone interested to come and take a look because it kind of gives you a little bulleted points of some of the key work that they have done and we have done uh, with your help and the impact we have. So we mentioned a lot about parents as being stakeholders, but how does INC go about getting parental enrollment uh, into the consortium and to talk about these studies that are being done? Sure. I was very excited when I heard about INC initially, and I immediately wanted to tell that leadership of Inc. about currently named NICU Parent Network. It, they used to call themselves the Primi Parent Network. Now it's NICU Parent Network. Are you familiar with? Um, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Great. I've heard of Primi Parent Network, and I didn't right. know that they changed their name. Yeah, they changed their <laughs> name to include include everyone Everybody. in NICU, not just the Primi. I think that's the reason behind their official change of name a couple of years ago. And I knew some of the members uh, pretty well already. So I kind of worked on um, discussing that need for um, discussing the need for more parents, not just one parent from one organization. So we did have one parent represented um, at the launch meeting in 2015, but I just did not feel like that was enough. We needed more voices because there is not just one parent, but many of them. Yeah. who had all different kinds of uh, preemie challenges or uh, NAC challenges or whatever. So back in 2015, so that's the same year, NAN was held in Dallas. And some of the preemie parent alliance members were there. So I grabbed <laughs> one person. I said, "This there's an organization, and I just feel like you need to be a part of it. Would I have your permission for me to work on this? So another month or so passed, but the Inc. leadership really understood the need. And they also understood NICU Parent Network, or at the time, Premier Parent Network, was not just one parent, one organization. It encompassed quite a few. At the time, maybe 24, 26 um, not-for-profit groups, that foundations that each parent built in memory of their child that they lost or um, to not let 
the difficulties that they experience happen to another parent. You know, many of them do peer support in NICU and work really hard to encourage other NICU parents. So, of course, um, some of the parents probably felt like you're going to use us. You may not value us. But we worked really hard. And when NICU Parent Network was officially invited, um, they would often stay on the the, like a monthly coordinating committee phone calls to hear all the discussions. We're not hiding any part of our discussion Good, from yeah. parents. And often when we used to, before COVID, had a face-to-face meetings, parents were often moderating or speaking, presenting, oh, teaching. That's awesome. So there are quite a few moments that parents from the NICU Parent Network stood in front of FDA and all the global members and many industry members and some of the communications and some of the dialogue that occurred at some of those meetings really had an impact. One parent, oh, shared, one parent shared, shared with me that the, she was asked by a um, pharmaceutical company to review um, self-report sort of like a, as an outcome they want the parents to continue to report on how is the baby doing or how your child is doing, what's the oxygen level right now. Depends on what kind of study that they are, you know, they are involved with. The follow-up checkups and follow-up burden on parents can be quite heavy. So this parent was very excited that she was able to look at some of those questions to say, this language needs to be changed, this is probably better to be expressed this way and that way. Um, There have been quite a few involvement by parents into real-world studies or preparation to the studies. And something like that alone is huge because they were not really considering parents before that. No, and the impact that that must have on the other stakeholders. Yes. and um, Bringing it to life. Like, this is a real... Right. Right. Life situation. Right. These are what these parents are facing. Right. Or faced every day. So the parents have been often co-authors. Sometimes parent is the lead author of some of our papers. If you see the paper that I mentioned about the communication, parent is the first author. And three nurses' names that you might recognize are on it and quite a few other industry members, FDA people, even a Japanese neonatologist. Um, It's a collaborative work, truly collaborative work. So we still have a lot to do. It can be intense and it can be intimidating. And like when I was first asked to, can you sit on the seizure group this afternoon? And I was like, I don't, I'm not a neurologist. I'm not particularly specialized in neuro stuff, but their specific request was we're working on the protocol and we're really wanting ethics discussion surrounding seizure uh, clinical studies. And we just want to make sure the nurses are there. And it was very interesting and I have never been in in such an environment where high-level neurologists and high-level researchers are all talking about things, and and I was able to share what I thought or what I thought the parents would find important. Um, seizures are very, seizure is actually one of the most, you know, leading cause of uh, neurodevelopmental 
poor outcomes. And often, too, if you are studying some new drug, anti-seizure drug, the time from the seizure happening to the time that you want to study, start, initiate the study, is very short. If the baby is transported, what do we do? How do you justify um, trying to get a consent just on the phone? What do you do? And so there were so many ethical side points that I never really thought about that came out. So it was in everything we do, there are complex elements that have to be considered. And in order to do that, research researchers can't do it alone and clinical trial coordinators can't do it alone. And we need to at least humbly sit before the parents since babies <laughs> won't talk to us, but value them as the most important member of the team. Yeah, like you said, collaboration, everybody has a different perspective. Like, you know, the neurologist asking you for your opinion as an NNP, what do you think about this? It's They don't have that perspective and they need that to to continue with these studies on seizures and how to treat them. And it's so hard um, when you feel like, you know, this drug may work. You wish you wanted to do it for everybody. But if you did that, if you don't have that randomization, then data would be not as valuable. So that's a point of ethics that some parents of kind of like, oh, if my child is not going to get it anyway, why do I bother? That's why it's so important that nurses and, and any clinicians that are talking to parents are educated strongly on the study right. that's being done. So you can explain that to them so they can make that and give you that informed consent. Right. With the compassion and empathy and detailed information that are wrapped together, packaged in a parent-friendly way without disclosing, I mean, without withholding, withholding the information. And to be honest, from the beginning can be a challenge, but necessary. Yeah, especially when they're having so much stress, just having a baby in the NICU, and then having to come to make a decision that's even more difficult, I yes. can't imagine. yes. What can nurses do if they are particularly interested in research? Maybe they have experience in clinical trials or research trials in their unit. What can they do to maybe reach out to INC and offer their um, assistance? Thank you for the question. I'm so excited that you asked that question because I really would like to see more nurses at the table when we discuss things. And I am certain that we will have a future project that I would love to have more nurses to work together. And uh, currently we have several that often uh, pop their head in for Zoom meetings and different things like that. But we are always going to have more needs for nurses' voice. And I would really welcome any email or something like that to me. Um, I can plug you into things if you don't mind working hard <laughs> and if you don't mind the challenges of thinking about things and bring more nurses role and especially with the real world data project that they are really working hard on if some of you are uh, doing any outcome studies using data once 
all the data stuff is put together, it will not be just strictly used for just the ink people. And I heard that they really plan to make it available for uh, strong work to bring better therapies for babies. So I asked a question at one of the leadership meetings that if I had a nurse researcher who wants to look into it, there would be a day that that's possible, and they said that's their plan. So if anyone is interested in kind of be informed of that, I welcome your um, contacts, email, and please take your time, if you have time, to go through the toolkit or just go through the Inc. website. It has videos that may give you an overview very quickly, and uh, you may feel that ink spirit by spending a little bit of a time at the web page. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for joining us today. I hope that everybody feels inspired and feels the ink spirit, as you mentioned, and maybe they'll take on that challenge and contact you and hopefully help improve outcomes for our tiny babies. So thank you. If you want to learn more about the International Neonatal Consortium and also access the toolkit, head over to NANCAST's website for those links. Make sure you never miss an episode of NANCAST by subscribing now. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks for your support and letting us into your ears. Have a great day.